So guys, I'm really excited about the series that we're in, um, the Hero series. So um, I guess I better hit my slideshow. I had not done that yet. So, um, so our, 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 this is where we've come to this point. So I like to, to show you as we're walking through the Bible and looking at these different heroes of the faith, what we see is the time of the patriarchs is, is really throughout the book of Genesis. We see Abraham, his son Isaac, his son Jacob, his son Joseph. And then after that, after Joseph passed away, there was a, a period, a long period, of where the Israelites became slaves to the Egyptians. And then out of slavery and into the promised land, we see Exodus unfold where Moses takes lead and his assistant is Joshua and Caleb was right by his side. And we, see this, we saw the story of Rahab. We last week talked about the villain, our first villain of our series, Achan. Um, and so now today, we're kind of moving out of that promised land time, and we're beginning to look at the time of the judges. And what I want to make sure that we have an understanding of, we're going to look at the, the story of Gideon, all right? Gideon, every time I see the, the name Gideon, I, I, I chuckle because um, I had the honor and privilege to, to name our adopted son uh, Gideon. And uh, when we were saying, uh, we had the choice to, 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 to choose a name for you, we would choose Gideon. He goes, well, what does Gideon mean? I says, it means warrior. He goes, yep, that's the name I want. So our youngest boy, nine years old, he destroys everything. He loves his name Gideon. It, it, it gets, probably gets him out of a little bit of trouble. Maybe not really gets him out of trouble, but he just lives up to his name, destroys everything, and he's a, he's a warrior. Um, that's what Gideon means, and what's really interesting is he's known, Gideon was known as a mighty warrior, and yet he was a man filled with insecurity. His name means mighty warrior, destroyer, and yet was a man filled with all kinds of insecurities. So today we're going to talk a lot about that. So as I want to walk into this, we see a pattern all the way. So Joshua, when Joshua dies in the book of Judges in chapter 2, it begins to describe this pattern of people's lives. The, 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 the people would stray away from God. He would then give them over to their enemies. Then, that, then they was in bondage. You know, it's the same pattern of our own lives. We, we stray away from God. Okay, we, 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 we go out there and do our own thing for a while, and then, and then all of a sudden things get bad enough. We, we find ourselves in bondage. We find ourselves where we're not supposed to be. Then we cry out to God, and he sends somebody, or, or he sometimes sends somebody in our life, or he himself works into our life there, brings us out of that, and then we continue this cycle of, of God saving, people straying, um, um, bondage coming, and, 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 and God raising up. And so through the book of Judges, every time the people would stray, their enemies would take over. After the enemies would take over, they would cry out to God because of how bad the bondage was. Then God would send them another judge, and the process would start all over again. So in the book of Judges, chapter 6, where Gideon's story begins to come into play, it says this in, in, in Judges chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Israel did evil in the sight of the, of the Lord. Shocker, I know. God gave them into the hands of the Midianites for seven years. And so then God calls up, the people cry out, and God calls up another judge. We meet Gideon mighty warrior. So in verse 11 of Judges, chapter 6, verse 11, it says this, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under an oak in Oprah that belonged to Joash the Abizrite. 
where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in the winepress to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now, I want to I first make sure that we understand something. There's an important note that you need to remember throughout most of this story. When we read this story, what do we read? The angel of the Lord. He did not know it was an angel of the Lord yet. He doesn't know this. So a lot of times when we read this, it's like, okay, well, understand this. To him, in that moment, he's living this moment out. We get to see the aftermath. Okay, an angel of the Lord was meeting with. He didn't know he was meeting with an angel of the Lord yet. Because a little bit later in the story, when he finally realizes that he's meeting with an angel of the Lord, he goes, at last I'm done, I'm a dead man. Every time somebody says, oh, then they realize that they're standing face to face with an angel or with God, they fall on their face expecting to die. Every one of them. Everyone throughout the Old Testament, they go, oh, I'm talking to God. I'm dead. You know, like they're just, they, they, so he didn't fall down dead yet. <laughs> He didn't fall down and think he even was in that place. So I want you to understand, he didn't know who he was talking to yet. So the angel of the Lord came in the appearance of a man, which is often throughout the Old Testament that we see. Um, And so two things that he says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. You finding that? So there's somebody that's underneath this big oak tree, and he speaks out to Gideon. He says, the Lord's with you, mighty warrior. Okay, that's, that's the beginning of this conversation. Okay, now the very next verse, verse 13, Gideon replies, pardon me, my Lord, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did you not, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Okay, now, let's break this down a little bit. First, the first thing that he says is this, pardon me, my Lord. And he says this two times. This is the first time. We'll see the second time in the next verse. The word Lord here is not capitalized. He's not making a reference to God Almighty. But in this culture and throughout the, bi- the biblical culture, the word Lord was used for somebody who had authority over you. Somebody that you would put as a leader over yourself. So we have like landlords, okay? But in that day, wives would also often call their husband lords. Not a capital L, Lord God. It was, he was the Lord of the house. Lowercase l. Everybody hear me, right? Okay. But this was the cultural thing. But he's having a conversation. So somebody speaks to him, and his automatic response is, Lord. Think about this. He doesn't know the guy's name. They haven't had, this is the first conversation they've ever had. A guy says, hey, the Lord's with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, Lord. So what he's doing is, pardon me, I'm going to kind of give a little bit of a pushback, but I see that you have authority over me. Kind of gives you a little bit of an idea of where his head is concerning authority. I would not automatically think that a stranger automatically had authority over me just because they said something nice to me. I wouldn't assume that right out of the gate. I don't know. Maybe you would. I would not. I'd be like, where did you get that statement? Did that come from God or you or somebody else? Or did you eat a cheeseburger right before we met and it was a really good one? You know, I just want to know where we're at here. So, so I want you to understand is that this right now shows you Gideon's view of himself and his standing. He already has lowered himself into his subservient 
level to this gentleman that he does not even know on a name basis. Okay? But the other thing that you should automatically look at is he only looks at one statement made to him. So remember the angel made two statements. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. He only focuses on, is the Lord really with me? He doesn't say anything. In his response, he says nothing about being a warrior. Do you guys see that? I mean, these, you guys open your Bible. Look at, I'm just, all I did was highlight them in different colors and underline things. So, same, same book. We're, we're at the same thing. So, he says, but the Lord is now abandoned. So, his focus was not on him being a mighty warrior or knowing anything about being a warrior. His whole thing was, the Lord's not really with us or not with me. Because that was what was stated. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. But if the Lord is with us, so it's not even me anymore, it's with us, why has this happened? The Lord then said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Keep this focus of understanding he does not know who he's talking to. So the conversation continues. In the very next verse, pardon me, Lord, again, Gideon replied, how can I save Israel? How can I? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. Gideon's making some excuses here. If you really think about it, he's not really different than Moses. Remember Moses, when the Lord called him, he's like, oh, I can't talk real good. I don't talk real good. I, you don't want me. Killed a man. Yeah, I mean, he had all different, you know, there's so many. Uh, you, you, anyone else, hey, I don't talk good, so why don't we find somebody else? Can you just find someone else? I mean, how many times have we kind of put ourselves in those same kind of places? God, I, I feel you placing something on my heart. Can you just get someone else to do it? anyone else to do this. I'm not the guy. I'm not the gal. We, we have a habit of putting ourselves down, pushing our, how can I do it? See, here's the thing is he doesn't even realize he's talking to an angel. He, he doesn't realize this yet. This angel showed up out of heaven to talk to him to say, you're going to go do it. You're getting sent on mission by God. So he doesn't get this yet. And he's sitting here going, well, how can I do it? Who am I? My clan is the weakest. So when you have this whole clan, Manasseh was the weakest of all. And then he's saying that, hey, out of the whole clan of Manasseh, my family, out of the family, I'm the least. My clan is the least of the tribe, and I am the least of my family. How can I do this? Have you guys ever kind of came to those kind of places? How can I save? Who am I? In other words, we're seeing some insecurity. I am nothing. I am weak. I am the least. Has anybody ever struggled with insecurities like I'm not good enough? How many of you guys have struggled with I'm not good enough? How many of you struggle with I'm unworthy? Right? We, we have, this, is, this is an insecurity. So I want to share with you the definition of insecurity. Insecurity is an uncertainty or an anxiety concerning yourself, oneself, a lack of confidence in the self, okay? 
Now, so, so I want you to know this, that Gideon is not alone. Moses had it. King Saul had it. Many, many more people. There's tons of people who have struggled with insecurities. They don't have a confidence in themselves. So I want to ask this question. Where does the lack of confidence in yourself come from? I want you to think about that for a moment because most of us. Now, so there's some of you uh, men, machos, macho men in the room that would like, I don't struggle with insecurities. And I would ask all of you macho men for a moment to answer a couple of questions. And the first question I would pose is, do you have any fear of failure? Okay. So a macho man would say, I, I'm, I have a fear of failure. Okay. That's insecurity. Uh, what I'm wanting us to understand is that we all battle a little bit with insecurity. Insecurity is a lack of confidence in myself. So where does that lack of confidence come from? Me, myself, and I. I lack confidence in me. That's where insecurity builds its, its foundation is that how you view yourself or how you perceive others viewing you. So you may not necessarily have a, a terrible view of yourself, but if you think other people have a bad view of you, you will allow their, your perceived, so it's always interesting. You may not like yourself. And therefore, you will begin to build an insecurity around yourself of, I'm not good enough. I'm inadequate. I will never succeed. I'm never going to. And you'll just keep destroying yourself. I want you to understand something. If you've ever dealt with insecurity, you don't just destroy you. You destroy the house and the home of everyone that's around you. You don't get to tear yourself down and not affect those around you. Do you guys understand that? Insecurity is huge. Everyone, most everyone struggles with it. And so what I want you to understand is that this, you not only begin to destroy yourself on how you view, but then you begin to perceive how you think others view you. Have you ever struggled in your life thinking that you're not good enough and then you perceive and think that everyone else in the world thinks the same thing? Right? Come on now, right? Right, So then what happens is now not only you think that about yourself, but now you've in your mind made everyone else in your world think it. And now you just really crash down on yourself. Okay? So that's what we're going to stop today. How about that? That sounds good. That sound good? Okay. So I want to give you some signs. Um, this comes out, this came out of a, 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 a psychology um, report. So here are some signs of insecurity. These, this is, these are not my own thoughts. These are things I found out of a psychology um, um, magazine online. <laughs> online. I didn't read a magazine. So um, they do not trust themselves. They struggle to trust others. So because they lack in trusting themselves, they struggle trusting others. Have you ever noticed that, right? So if you don't trust you, you're probably not going to trust others. Therefore, you miss the best, best of life because you spend too much time in your own head. Number two, they look for the worst in everything. They can't seem to find the positive. Therefore, they're unable to let go of negative emotions, which means they will often ruin even a good situation just to prove they're right. Right? If I stay negative and I'm thinking the negative, then even if it's good and positive, I'm going to destroy the positive just to prove that it's negative. Come on, right? Okay. Number three. They're rooted in reality. Um, they're not rooted in reality. They often live in their own imaginations of inaccurate information they have created in the situation. What happens is this. 
We're in our heads so much and we've come to believe the worst in these situations. So then the facts begin to change over time and they become inaccurate. And now we've created an entire scenario that we can't let go of. Am I speaking truth? Right? Some of you sitting in this room are going, whoop, that's me. It's okay. We're going to, like I said, we're going to deal with it today. Amen? All right? All right, number four, they live in fear of judgment because they worry about what other people think of them and they see themselves inferior and believe others see the same. I don't, I don't, I don't believe in myself, so no one else does either. So now guys, this isn't, you may not have every one of these, but if you're hitting on several of these key points, we got an insecurity issue, okay? And we got to deal with it. What, what, what have we learned every freedom night? What do we talk about on our freedom nights? The first step to freedom is admitting I'm not God, and that my life is a little bit unmanageable, and I need some help. And he's the one who's going to help me through it, right? So if I have some insecurities, the best step is this. I have insecurity, and I need to deal with it. I need to, I need to work on that. Number five, they attempt to become like those around them because they don't like themselves. So you try to find somebody that you like. I'm going to try to be like them or try not to be like me. Well, then you're not you. God created you. Be you. So, um, number six, they live in denial because they do not accept the facts. They write them off even if the fact was a positive fact, right? Because all of these work off of each other. So if I'm finding the negative in everything, then I'm even going to write off the positive facts that are going on, okay? Number seven, they do not believe they are good enough because they can't see the good in themselves, And eight, they are doomed to fail because they have no faith in themselves and therefore will not even try. You may not have every one of those, but these are eight different signs of insecurity. But I want to share this. This is a this is this is huge. Taking out of leaving the psychology world, and I want to come right here. There is a big difference between insecurity and humility. A lot of times Christians try to confuse and get the two words confused and we we often believe the lie that feeling bad about yourself is somehow humility a good thing. Some like, like like well hey my insecurity and the 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 things that I feel about myself is actually humility. It's not. Insecurity and humility are worlds apart and a lot of times we try to bring them in to where I can still feel a little bit better about my insecurity. Insecurity is not humility at all. So let me show you what this is. So first, here is humility. It places confidence in God. That's what humility does. Humility, by definition, comes from a couple of different, um, different um, Hebrew and Greek words. Uh, submission to another's will and load to the ground with your heart and your mind. So in other words, if I was going to take all the words used in the Bible historically about what humility is, it would be this. It's to bow our hearts and our minds to the will of God. That's what humility would be. Humility, I am to submit to God's will. That means that I'm agreeing with what God says and I'm living it out even if it is about what he says about me. See, that's what's hard. When I battle with insecurity, even when God says something good about me, I can't accept it. How many of you have known that God created you fearfully and wonderfully made, that God doesn't make mistakes, and yet you still think you're a mistake? How many of you struggled with that? Stop it. Stop it right now, or I'll bury you alive in a box. 
Some of you know that story. Okay, so here's the thing. God says, that, so his word, it says the word of God never changes, right? So the word of God never changes. So God, in his word, he says these things. He says what he says, and he means what he says. So when he says it, you, your job is to accept it, believe it, and live it. So if he says that you're fearfully and wonderfully made, then you don't get to say you're not. Come on. Because the moment that you say, God, I'm a mistake, what you're saying is, God, you made a mistake. Oh, you want to stand before the Lord and tell him that he made a mistake? Because the last time I checked, God is perfect, right? So if God is perfect and he made you, you're not a mistake, you're not garbage, you're not trash, you're not junk. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Amen. Come on now. So, so in humility, I place all my confidence instead of me, it's on God. Insecurity places no confidence. You see the difference? Humility places confidence in God. Insecurity places no confidence in myself. They're not the same thing. Don't ever say they are. See, one places a focus on God while the other places a focus on self. Insecurity is all about you. Humility is all about God. See, I want to help lead you into the world of humility and get you out of insecurity. Okay? So here's, here's a... This is something I think is really important for each one of us. It, it's at the end of myself where I truly find God. That's what humility looks like. It's not destroying myself or killing myself or hating myself. It's when I come to the end of myself and I just desperately need God, and He's my everything, that's where I really start finding God in my life is when I just say, hey, I'm, I'm done with the mess that I've made this, and I, I'm, I need help. God, I need you. You're my everything. I am not killing myself or hating myself. I'm just saying, God, you're everything. You're everything I want. You're everything I need. You're what I want. Right? So at the end of me, that's where I find God. Isn't that good? All right, so let me show you the differences between insecurity and humility. Insecurity pushes us down. Humility lifts God up. Isn't that good? Right? Insecurity wants us to hide. Humility allows me to be me without pretending. Take the mask off. It's okay. You see, one of the things that we talked in our Sunday school class today is that a lot of us put on a mask. And we wear this mask in church and everywhere public because we're so afraid that if somebody actually sees me for who I am, they won't like me. Why? Because I don't like me. You get it, right? You see what I'm saying? Here's the thing is, take the mask off. God made you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. God loves you. He made you special. He made you amazing. Let people see that. Let them see you for who you are. See, a lot of times we're so used to rejecting ourselves, we just automatically reject ourselves for everyone else, and we don't even give them a shot. 
My guess is this, you reject yourself before anyone ever has the chance to reject you. That's insecurity. Insecurity says you can't. Humility says God can. You see the difference? I'm wanting you to see the difference. Insecurity says you need to change who you are. Humility invites us to become more like God. Insecurity reminds us of our flaws. Humility encourages us to use the strength and gifts God gave us. Insecurity compares us to others. Humility reminds us that God created us unique and with purpose. Insecurity says that you're not enough. Humility says that we are everything we need to be because God created us that way. Man, if you are battling with insecurity, you, are, you have accepted the devil's lies about you as truth. That's where it comes from. The stem and the root of all insecurity is the perversion, deception, and lies of Satan. He's the liar and the deceiver, and you bought hooked into his lies, and you've allowed them to remain in your life. Here's the deal. we got to say, no, devil. I resist you in the name of Jesus. I'm not accepting that. I'm done with that. I know who my God is. And I know who he called me out to be. And that's it. That's where I'm going to live. In those places. So I want, you, I want to read this. This is a New Testament passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. It's not going to be uh, in your notes here. But just you might write that down for later. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. It says, brothers and sisters, think of what you were. When you were called, not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that were not to nullify the things that are so that no one could boast before God. Isn't that good? See, the thing is, is that so many times what you do is you're allowing the insecurity to take over. And he says, no, no, quit looking at yourself like that. It's okay that you didn't have a noble birth. It's okay that you didn't have a 99 percentile in your grades. It's okay that you're not, you know, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, in his, in his, in his, in his, in his strength. You know, you, you don't have to be Samson in his strength. God's like, I don't need you. I want you. I want you, and I'm going to use you. To show the world that you don't have to come from a noble lineage. You don't have to come from strength. You don't have to come from college. God can use anyone to do anything because he's God and he's in charge. So God can use you. So let's get back to the scripture. So he says, who am I? That's what the last thing that Gideon said. Who am I? (laughs) Who am I? How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest. And I am the least of my family. This is how the Lord replied. The Lord answered, I will be with you. Now remember, what are we supposed to remember? He still doesn't know who he's talking about. That's what makes this so unique. So if I'm sitting there being Gideon, I'm like, looking at him like, how strong are you? Can I see your, could you, could you show me the, the sun's out, guns out real quick? Can you wield a sword real well? You know, are you like Samson? You know, I mean, like, I would be like, you're going to be with me. Does that change how many thousands of people that we're going to, is one dude going to change everything? So I will be with you and you will strike down the Midianites, leaving none alive. So continue to keep that in mind that at this point, 
he's definitely intrigued trying to figure out where where is this going. So, so far, this is what the angel has said. You are a mighty warrior. You go in the strength that you have, and you're to save Israel. Four, five, and six, and I am, am I not sending you? I will be with you, and you will strike them down. These are all the things. Think about this. This is all positive. And yet he's still, who am I? I can't do that. Where's God? You know what I mean? Like, you, you see the negativity that he has had up to this point. He's kind of like, mm, where's God in all of this? I don't see God in any of this, and I'm weak, and I'm, I'm you know, I mean, there's, there's all insecurity, signs of insecurity all over this. So I will be with you. You will strike them down, right? This whole time. So he's still, so let's look at how he responds again. Then he said, if now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign. I mean, and and this makes a lot of sense. Okay, God, if you know, if you're an angel or you're a prophet or you're somebody sent by God to tell me these things, and if I found favor in your sight, show me a sign that it is you. Now, this you is capitalized in the scriptures. So now he's like, is this, is this God? Is this an angel? So he's like, right at that point of, the, I'm talking to somebody. Is this a prophet? Is this God? Is this an angel? So Show me a sign that it is you who talk to me. Do not depart here, I pray, until I come to you and bring out an offering. So he goes away. The the, the angel says, I will not leave until you come back. So he goes and he prepares a a goat. He prepares some bread. He brings them out, and the, the angel says, put it on the rock. And he takes the staff, and he touches it. Fire comes from the rock, consumes the offering. That's the moment. Oh, oh. So what happens in the story, I don't have this on the slide, but what happens in this story is that he goes, at last, oh Lord, I have seen an angel face to face. And he falls to the ground and then the Lord said, peace be with you, Do not, you will not die. <laughs> you, know, like, like, you know how many times the Lord had to say that? Don't be afraid, I'm not going to kill you. You know, like, oh, I've seen God, I'm going to die. No, you're not going to die, get up, you know. So, so, so. That's how we know that this is, this is how we know that all the way, he did not know who he was talking to. So now he knows. He knows that, okay, so the moment that this angel used the staff and they touched that and the fire came from a rock, just whoosh, and consumed it and ate the whole thing up, right? He's like, oh, okay, so everything that I've been told is true and it's from God. Hmm. So what does the sign from God do for Gideon? This is, what, this is what really starts. So right after this, 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 uh, this offering was consumed with fire, right? Immediately, it gave Gideon confidence to do what God created him to do. So... Seeking a sign was very common throughout the Old Testament. If you read through the Old Testament, they were constantly seeking signs. And I think sometimes that we don't seek enough. Sometimes we're like, God, would you show me that you're... And and I started thinking about this, and I actually have a couple that I want to share with you about um, some times that I asked God for a sign in my own life because I didn't know if I was what I was to do. I don't know, has any of you ever kind of sat down at a point in your life and you're like, I don't know if I'm supposed to go left or right. God, would you show me a sign? And, And God, I'm pretty dim so it needs to be a bright one i need a fluorescent sign god i mean come on does anybody need a fluorescent sign in their life okay so here's what's really cool so i have a couple of just real real brief ones um 
So um, after I had surrendered to um, God's call in my life, I immediately wanted to, to preach. Uh, so I called my uncle L1 up, and I said, hey, uh, I wanna, I, I've been called to preach. I want to preach. And so he said, oh, okay. And so then he's like, well, when would you like to do that? I'm like, my 20th birthday's coming up. Can I do it? And it's on a Sunday. Can I do it on my 20th birthday? And so he's like, sure. Do you want to just share your testimony? I'm like, I want the whole thing, you know. Um, and so I'm, I'm all excited. I've been working on a sermon for like three months. You know what happens when I prepare for a sermon for like one week? Give me three months. You know, we didn't go to Sunday. So the, in, in, in the Mennonite church, they had worship first, and then you go to Sunday school. We did not have Sunday school the day I preached. I'm just, I'm just letting you know how that went, you know. It's the longest sermon of their life. They're like, I thought it would be really short. You just keep going. It was like three sermons into one, you know. I had a lot to say. But I remember, though, I, I was on my way to church, and all of a sudden I remembered I hadn't asked God if I'm even supposed to be doing this. Like, I took it upon myself to call and ask if I could preach a sermon. I hadn't asked God if he wanted me to preach a sermon. Just because he called me to preach doesn't mean that I'm supposed to start yet. So I'm sitting there, I'm paying, all of a sudden I'm like, oh, Lord, I'm sorry. Because that's my, if, if, when, when I mess up, it's usually because I got ahead of stuff. Like, I'm like a racehorse, and so, you know, and, and if you don't know anything about racehorses, usually the, the harder you pull back, the more they run. So, you know, resistance just springs, spring shots me in the, in the future. So, um, so I, I'm, I'm in the parking lot, and I'm like, oh, Lord, did I get ahead of you? God, give me a sign that I'm doing what you want me to do, or I will right now call Uncle L1, and I'll, I will step down from this right away. I'm sitting in this car. I never kept my car running. I would always just shut it off as I prayed, but I left the car running that day, and I'm just sitting there, and all of a sudden, on the radio, right then and there, um, a song came up. It says, next song up, dare to be a Daniel. Stand up for the Lord. And I, my heart just leaped. I'm like, I don't know if it's a sign, but I'm going. You know, so, so I'm out of that car, and I preach for an hour and 20 minutes. Here we go, you know. So, <laughs> so um, and so... Uh, not long after that, I went on a mission trip, and, and I went on this mission trip, and, and uh, uh, the person who was um, overseeing our mission trip went parasailing one day, and I just really, it really did not set with me. Um, we were supposed to have this prayer meeting. We were doing street evangelism. We were doing evangelism in the schools, and our leader of the mission trips off parasailing. And I, and, 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 and you know, I've gotten a lot better through the years of, of not saying everything that I thought, but in college, I did, not have that pro I, I did not have that problem. I just usually said whatever was on my mind, um, whether you liked it or not. And I said, if you need a vacation, you should have went on a vacation. This is called a mission trip. Did not set well. And, and then, so the person was like, well, I'm sending you home. We're, we're getting you a flight right now, and I'm taking you to the airport, and you're going back to school. And so my heart got broke right then. I'm like, oh. And so then I'm like, God, am I even supposed to be? Am I even, was I even called? I mean, I did eat Taco Bell before I prayed about being, you know, like, if you really wanted me to do this. And so I began to question everything. Because somebody came up and said something to me, I immediately began to question everything that God had taught me up to that point. Right then, in one moment, I was ready to walk away from ministry, go back, be like, Lord, I'll go back into elementary education. I, I, maybe this is, and I remember I get back to the school. They, they would not let me go on, another, I could not go on another mission trip with the school. So that was my last and only mission trip I was allowed to go on. And that's fine. And, and so, but, but the thing was, is I'm sitting there and I'm like, God, I didn't think that ministry was supposed to be this hard. And I remember I'm just like, I was really down. And I just really like, God, am I supposed to be a pastor? 
And I had um, this young lady that went on the mission trip, don't even remember her name, didn't even really know her at all, knocks on my, not knocks on the door, but uh, saw me and handed me this picture and said, God told me to give this picture to you. I'm like, what picture? And I looked at the picture. So the night that I asked God, 19 years old, I asked God what he wanted me to do. I had a dream that I was preaching. I woke up and I'm like, okay, that's weird. No more Taco Bell at 11 o'clock at night, you know. So one week later, I said, okay, I'm going to pray the same thing. God, if you want me to be a pastor, and if I understood you correctly, I need you to give me the same dream. That was a fleece. Uh, we'll get into that in just a moment. And that night, I had the same exact dream again. I said, okay, I quit football. I quit everything except for Bible classes. That's all. I, I, I dropped out of everything else. No extracurricular activities. It's God all the way. And, uh, and so when this young lady gave me this picture, it was a picture from my dream, and I didn't even realize that the dream that God called me to, I was wearing the same outfit that I had in that dream when I was preaching on our mission trip. Same exact, everything. And at that moment, I just knew. I knew there was, I knew exactly. I was like, okay. And so I keep that, that, that picture uh, on my desk to remind me uh, in times where I'm like, God, am I even where I'm supposed to be, or am I doing what I'm supposed to do? I was 20 years old. I'd preached my first sermon. A church called me in Green Ridge, Missouri, Antioch Baptist Church, Green Ridge, Missouri, right here, real close. Uh, they called me, and they said, hey, would you be our pastor? And I was so excited. I'm like, but I was also terrified. I'm like, I'm 20 years old. I don't know anything. And most of the people in the church had grandchildren older than me. You know, I'm like, are they going to listen to anything I say, you know? Um, and so um, I was driving down the road, and I said, God, I just need a sign. I need you to, to right here and now just, God, if I go, am I to say yes to him or I say to no? And, I, and while I was driving down the road and praying, right as I'm praying, car passes me, their flashers are on, they pull out in front, and they slow down. And then I look at their license plate, and it was 1JN55. I'm like, that's kind of a weird um, you know, like John Jr. and his football number was 55. And I'm like, no, 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 that's First John 5, 5. And so I pull off the side of the road, pull out my Bible, and it says, who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? And not that that verse meant something. It was that I asked for God to show me what I was supposed to do, and he did. And what I'm saying is that sometimes we, we can have so much insecurity in ourselves that we don't even ask God to show us what he wants for us because we don't even believe enough that God would ever do that for us. And so one of the things I want to challenge you is that, you know what, there's nowhere in the Bible that God says, stop asking for a sign, you know. Um, but I do want to show you that on the other side of that, be careful that you're not, everything's not a sign. Not every butterfly fluttering around in the air is a sign, it's sometimes just a really beautiful butterfly, <laughs> you know? Um, and so um, these signs that God gave me were at distinct times where I needed them, and they gave me confidence to do the next thing that God had for me. And so after God gave him the sign, he was able to do exactly his assignment. The very next assignment was in uh, Judges 6.24, the angel says, now I want you to go. And they, all the people of Israel were worshiping Baals. They were worshiping false gods. 
And so, and then so, so, and they're all serious about this, right? So he says, I want you to go and tear down their altars and use that wood to make a sacrifice for the burning wood for the sacrifice to the Lord. I want you to tear down their altar, bring over the wood, and I want you to prepare a sacrifice for me, God, right? So God's like, I want you to put a sacrifice, but I want you to use the wood from that false idol over there, and I want you to put that as the starter wood for my offering, right? Woo, come on now, right? I mean, I'm like, go God. Now, so when does, so, so Gideon, he's, he's got some confidence. He does it. He does it at night when no one could see, you know, and, and, and he speaks from a faraway hill, you know, so, um, so anyway, so, but he does do it. He does do it. And then in chapter, in the very next verses, the entire Midianite army starts coming upon, right? So they're, they're coming. The spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. He blew the trumpet and gathered all this army. In fact, we're going to see that 30,000 soldiers, when he blew the trumpet, all the soldiers started coming out of the woods to come. So he calls an army into, into, into battle. It's pretty cool. So, so he has the confidence. Okay, I knew it was God talking to me, so I'm going to do the next step, right? So God gave me a sign. Now I have the confidence in God to do what's next. So the next thing was to tear down the altars, get rid of the false gods. Okay, then the next thing is, is okay, now the Lord's come upon me and we're calling an army. Okay, now... Gideon then said, okay, so all the armies coming together, and he starts seeing them come. Now, all of a sudden, this is about to get real, right? You just blew a trumpet. All the people are gathering. There's an army. You're about to go to battle. You're going to war. God said to, or Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hands as you have promised, look. So God's already promised, right? <laughs> right? God's already promised, but I need <laughs> a little bit more, Right? I need to make sure here. He says, um, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there, is only, if there is dew only on the fleece and all the rest of the ground is dry, then I'll know it was you or that you will save Israel by my hand, as he said. As you said. That happened. <laughs> it was exactly the way he wrung it out, bowl full of water. Then Gideon said, uh, do not be angry with me. Let me make just one more request and let me do the opposite, that everything else is wet and it's dry. And so it was, okay? Gideon's prayer fleece. And uh, he's still asking, he's still seeking for a sign, and this is very specific at this point. So I have one more uh, little short story um, to share on that, and, and Barbara's going to remember this one, but when Malachi was a little, little baby, um, I went off to a conference, and I remember at the conference I was really, really young in ministry, and I really <laughs> didn't know how God was ever going to use me. Um, I, I've always, I struggled with that a lot. Um, like, why would God use a class clown? Because in, in the Southern Baptist world of the churches that we were pastoring, they, they were not, they didn't laugh like you guys laugh. I mean, I really appreciate that you guys laugh, and, and sometimes, but, but when I would tell a joke, it was never very funny, and I was often reminded that jokes were not a place in the pulpit, and so, um, and so I was struggling, like, God, how are you going to use me? I don't, I don't understand how I can, nobody likes me, you know, like, nobody likes me, everybody hates me, I'm going to eat some worms kind of thing from camp, you know, but I, I struggled. I really did. I struggled, and I went to this conference, and I'm like, okay, God, I need, I know that you're using me. I know that you called me. I'm not questioning any of that, but God, what are you going to do? 
I, I, could you show me what you're going to do? And I, I heard specifically this one word, thousands. My heart pounded. I, I knew exactly what thousands meant. It, it was my heart. I wanted, to see, I wanted to see thousands of people saved. Like that's, God, I just want to see people get saved. Like real salvation. Not like the salvation of getting saved, baptizing, and you never see them again. I mean like real life-altering salvation. I'm like, I know exactly what this is. God, you're going to save thousands through this ministry that you're calling me to? I, I don't know. Okay, so then I began to think of Gideon, and I'm like, okay, Lord, this is the case. You tell Barbara without me telling her anything, right? So I called Barbara, and I said, Barbara, just pray and listen. What am I listening for? I don't know. Just pray and listen. So I didn't go home that day, the very next day, because the conference was like a multi-day thing, and I came like the next, and I'm like, so I walk in, and I'm like, so it's like, you know, the hugs, the kiss, and I'm, but the, I, I mean, like, it's great to see you. Yeah, well, yeah okay, great. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, okay, did God say something? So she's like, let's go. So we went upstairs into, a, into the room, and I'm like, yeah, uh-huh. And she's like, I'm so sorry. I let you down. I'm like, oh, didn't hear anything. She goes, no, I was praying, and I was so intently asking God, and all I could hear was thousand, 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 thousand through the floor. And I'm like, and she goes, my dad was downstairs watching some, um, Price is Right or something like that. She's, like he's listening to some stupid show downstairs and all I could hear was 1,000, 1,000, 1,000. And I got so excited and so I told her the whole story. And you know what? Do you remember what she said to me? No? I do. So oh, I got I got you. I got you. So, so right then Barbara says, if this is true, like right there, like because like, I'm like, this, you know what this means? It's like, this is what God's going to do. And so if God says it, it's going to happen. Like, this is going to happen. Thousands of people are going to get saved. Woo! You know, let's go. You know? And so at that moment, she goes, God, if that is the truth, then save my dad. That Sunday morning was so much anticipation in the service. I'm like, somebody's getting saved today. I mean, like all week long, like all the way, all week long, I was like, hey, Jim, that's her dad. Like, somebody's getting saved today. Somebody, or somebody's getting saved this Sunday. I just want to let you know you better be there. So I'm like, somebody's getting saved. And so, so excited. Like, the, 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 just like the anticipation of what God was going to do. All week long, we were talking about it. Like, somebody's getting saved. Anyways, the worst sermon I ever preached in my life. It's terrible. I was so discouraged by the end of the sermon, I just said, I don't know what to do. You know, if, if you want to get saved, just, I guess, come up here. I, like, I was so discouraged because nothing went right. And Jim stood up and he goes, I was just waiting for you to finish. You know, and so like that day, we got to see like all of these fleeces that we put out and it just gave us confidence. And there's times in our life, guys, and it's not necessarily always like a church ministry thing, but maybe you need a fleece answered or a sign of God for your marriage. Maybe you need that for your kids. Maybe there's something out there and you're like, God, I just, I'm seeking you and I need you to give me some sign that will give me the confidence to finish school. God, give me this sign that will give me the confidence to, to stick it out in my marriage. God, give me a sign to, to stick it out in this job. Or God, you know, I need to know from you that I'm where you want me to be. God, am I supposed to be here or am I supposed to sell my house? God, am I supposed to be at this job or that job? God, I want a sign from you that I'm right where you want me to be. Sometimes that's what we need in our life. Am I right? And so what I'm wanting you to understand is there's nothing wrong with seeking a sign from God because it will give you the confidence that when you're ready to quit, you won't. We have a, we have a, a, a thing in our, you know, Barbara and I made, are, are very serious about our vows. Um, Till death do you part. Divorce is not an option for us, 
murder is. <laughs> you know, so, you know, <laughs> so, so Gideon blows this trumpet. Sorry that this is a longer sermon. The chiefs don't play today. It's okay. So, so, I, so, so the starting point right in this, and when he blows this trumpet, 30,000 soldiers show up. Right? 30,000. So at this point, he's got to feel pretty good. 30,000 showed up, but this is what the Lord said. The people who are with you are too many for me to give me the Midianites, to give the Midianites into your hands, lest the Israel claim its glory. Now think about this. He's been struggling with some confidence this whole time. Right? A little bit of confidence. And the Lord says, you got too many. So I want you to tell them, if any one of them are afraid, <laughs> they can go home. Can you imagine, hey guys, we're going to go fight the Midianites, woohoo! All right, but if you're afraid and you're kind of scared for your life, you can go on home. There goes 20,000, boom, just like that, 20,000, two-thirds of your army, gone. You got 10,000. Maybe there's some kind of way that this possibly... You know, maybe if we just get some kind of an angle here or we just get this, this you know, maybe if we get the high ground or we, we catch them off guard, and then the Lord says there's still too many. The next verse, he says, I want you to take them down to some water, and anyone who licks the water like a dog, laps it up, you keep them. So there were 300 out of the 10,000. So now Gideon gets to take 300 men to fight two vast armies, the Amalekites and the Midianites. Woo! All right, Lord. Whew. Can I have another sign? I mean, is it too late for me to have another sign, you know? I mean, but the thing is, is that, okay, you know, I mean, here's his, his confidence level. God, here's a fleece, okay, if you're really going to do this, because he knows the vast army that's coming. He knows it's coming, and he knows that he doesn't have enough, so he's, so the guy's like, God's speaking to him. When God speaks to you, does that not increase your confidence in him when you know that he's speaking to your heart? So God is speaking to him, and so it happened in Judges chapter 7, verse 9. It happened the same night that the Lord said to him, arise, go down against the camp, for I've delivered them into your hands. So he has 300 dudes. Guys, it's time. 300 guys, let's go. You know how cool God is, though? God knows that he's afraid. Wouldn't you be? I mean, is there anybody here that wouldn't be absolutely terrified to take 300 guys that all were licking water like a dog? I got all the weird ones. You know, like, God, you gave me all the weird guys, you know? Like, is there anybody else? Right? Now listen to what God says to him. But if you're afraid, but if you're afraid to go down, go down to the camp, go down to their camp with Pura, your servant, and you shall hear what they say, and afterward your hands shall be strengthened to go against the camp. So go, I'm sending you. Okay, he's terrified. But if you're scared, go down to their camp with your assistant and go listen to what they're saying. Verse 11, then they went down with, his, with Pura, his servant, to the outpost of the armed men who were in the camp. Now the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east were lying in the valley as numerous as locusts. Okay? Their camels were without number. As the sand by the seashore in multitude. He's looking out 
and he can't even count how many people are there, and he has 300 people who drink water like a dog. <laughs> I'm just, just keeping that right in the forefront of your mind, all right? So what a terrifying sight to behold. And when Gideon had come, there was a man telling a dream to his companion. He said, I have a dream. To my surprise, a loaf of barley bread tumbled out into the camp of Midian and came to a tent and struck it so that it fell and overturned and the tent collapsed. Then his companion answered, this is nothing else but the sword of Gideon. Who's Gideon? They don't even know who he is. He was just the least of all of his family, the smallest clan of his tribe, and they already know him by name. Come on. Is there not a God out there, right? So he says, this is nothing else but the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. Into his hand, into his hand, God has delivered Midian and the whole camp. They are as countless as the sand on a seashore, and they already think they're going to be handed over by God Almighty into the hand of Gideon with his 300 men who drink water like a dog. Isn't that crazy? Can you imagine seeing that and you're even more terrified like, God, that did not help seeing all these people. And then all of a sudden you hear. God allows you to hear this, right? Gideon goes in the confidence of God. And so it was when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation that he worshipped. The first thing he did was he worshipped God. And the word here is he fell down on his knees before God. Oh, God. I mean, I can't, his knees would have already been weak to think about going into a battle like that with 300 men. But he worshipped. He worshipped God. Then he returned to the camp. Arise for the Lord. See, here's the deal. It's all about God. For the Lord has delivered the camp of Midian into your hands. Let's go. I mean, like just like that. The confidence was turned around. So what I'm wanting you to understand is that if Gideon was to take a lap with us, the thing that he would say is, I want you to go in the confidence of God. So what do you need to have the confidence of God in your life? Do you need to hear from him today? Do you need, maybe you're at a place in your life where you're just like, God, I need a sign that you're with me. God, I need to know that you're with me. God, I'm about to make a decision, and I want to know the right way. Now, here's the thing is, not everything that you, comes up into your mind is a sign from God. Test it. Make sure that you test it. I had a person who came to me and said, you know, I just opened up my Bible and just flipped it over, and it said, Abraham, go. I packed up everything I had, sold my house, and went to another place. After they went bankrupt, they came right back. Okay, not everything is a sign because sometimes we're not listening to God. Sometimes we're listening to ourselves or we're listening to others. I want to encourage you that God does speak to us and God has something for you. So I want you to bow your heads today and I want you to I want you to consider what is it that we need? from God to be able to move forward in our life with that kind of confidence. The kind of confidence that says, hey, I'll take 300 men and I will attack a countless number of enemies. 
What do you need that would give you confidence to stand up in your marriage and fight for it? To stand up for your kids or kids to stand up for their parents? Maybe where you are in life right now that you need to desperately seek a sign from God. God, I need you to show me something. God, I need to know. Then let's ask him. Let's ask him today. I'm not afraid to ask God today. I know that you're not afraid to ask God today. Maybe if you're in a place right now that there's a you're at a place of crossroads and you need a sign from God, would you just come? Our prayer team's going to come around and they're just going to pray in confirmation that God would give you a sign. But if you need a sign, you need, God, show me. I have something specific that I need to know. Come ask. You don't have to come forward to ask, but I want to encourage you to. Maybe many of you right now here today are struggling with insecurity, and I need you to hear me. If you are struggling with insecurity, I beg you, come lay it down right now. Lay it down and leave it. You got insecurity, you come and you place it at this altar and you set it down and you leave it there. Don't take it back. Don't take it back. And when the devil tries to bring it back, you resist it again and again and as many times as it takes. If there is anyone here today that you need to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I'm going to stand right over here where I always stand. And I would love to introduce you to my best friend.